Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. I'm at the lower level of the library, the Ignite Space. It's a very creative place. If you've never seen it, come to the library, get a tour. The staff here loves to give tours to people as they visit this place. Uh, of course, it's right in downtown Fishers uh, in the municipal complex, right next to police headquarters, if uh, that helps you at all. Today, my guest on the podcast is Monica Heltz, the public health director for the city of Fishers. Monica, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on again. Thanks for having me, Larry. And we are uh, going to, we have a lot to talk about, because we have vaccines that are coming up, and I want to talk in detail about that. Also, uh, about a, a restaurant rating system you've already talked to the city council about. But I want to start with this because your department was created in April of 2020. I think it came shortly after that. Um, that was when. Everyone was in the early stages of the COVID pandemic. And at that point, Mayor Fadness wanted his own city health department to handle testing. I thought that was very important to have a testing program in place and other programs related to to COVID. And, of course, the vaccines came later. Um, Your department has come a long way since then. So when you look back from like April 2020 or shortly after that, when, when you joined the department to now, what are your major memories of creating and running the Fisher's Health Department? Oh, wow. I, I'm not sure how much of it I still remember. I might have blocked it out partially, but um, it, it was certainly a crazy time. Um, but, you know, we have been uh, building our health department the whole time during COVID, even though, you know, the vast majority of our efforts and our resources were focused on COVID and, and meeting the needs of our residents through testing, tracing, um, and then later vaccines. Um, we were simultaneously putting all the pieces in place to make sure that we could provide all of the required services and then many of the recommended or critical services um, to our residents that health departments typically provide. Um, we're very much looking forward into going into the next phase of, of being really a, a best-in-class um, health department and leading a lot of those initiatives as we move forward. You know, So we've spent a lot of time building the groundwork and laying the foundation and making sure we can provide the minimum necessary um, and then you know adding on additional items and now we're really looking to take it to the next level and i will talk i'm going to plan to talk about a lot of those things and give you a chance to talk more about that but the, the most pressing issue as we record today which is september 9th of 2022 um, covid vaccines they did not exist when you started the fisher's health department was They've come a long way since then. Uh, There's now a new vaccine formula available. So what should the Fishers public know about this? Um, So we do have both the Pfizer and Moderna um, formulations available. They are um, anyone who's 12 or older is eligible to receive a booster, um, a new booster um, with with, uh, um, what we call the bivalent vaccine. So it covers some of those variants like Omicron. Um, If they haven't received a, a 
their either their primary series or their um, booster within the past two months. So no matter how many boosters you've had, no matter how many um, different varieties you've had, you can get that new booster if you haven't had a different booster in the past two months. So 12 and over, is there any particular age group that really should uh, make it a, an effort to get this quickly? Sure. I mean, any, anybody over the age of 65, of course, um, or anybody suffering from specific immunocompromising conditions, um, any of the risk groups for COVID, um, you know, I would certainly recommend that you really um, go out and, and get this at your earliest convenience um, to make sure you're covered. As we head into fall, we know, you know, the close quarters are going to increase the risk again. We're going to have flu going on at the same time. So just to give you the best chance of protecting your own health and safety and those around you, um, that would be my recommendation. Well, you mentioned the flu, and I've, I've read a lot in, in just the, the not, not the medical journals, but the regular uh, media saying that when you go in for your COVID booster, now that the flu shots are available, you could get both of them. That should not cause any adverse effects. Is that true? Um, yeah. I mean, you can you can certainly get them both on the same day, and that is a recommendation just to make it easy for you and um, to make sure that you are that you get both of them. If you don't get them both on the same day, a lot of people then forget or leave out one or the other, and that leaves you unprotected. So um, that's the key part of that recommendation. It doesn't mean you're not going to have any side effects. You may still have those side effects, as we're all aware of with the COVID vaccine, and even some people experience side effects from the flu vaccine. Of course, the most common side effect is a sore arm. I think we all know that. Um, but some, sometimes people feel a little achy or or fluy um, after getting either one of those vaccines. So you may experience that even if, you know, if you get one or both of them. One thing that I find interesting is that uh, the flu, actually, if I recall seeing the data, you check me if I'm wrong, is that when COVID happened, because people locked down, there was a reduction in the number of flu cases, probably for that reason. But yet, uh, even if the flu has been down, as we start mixing again and, and we start getting back to a normal sort of workplace and our play and, and other things that we do, probably more important than ever that we get a flu shot this year. Yeah, if you're going to ever pick a year to have a flu shot, I would pick this year. Um, I mean, I would pick every year personally, but um, but if you're picking and choosing your years, please pick this year. Um, we're hearing from our Southern Hemisphere, which is what we watch to head into our season, um, that they have really suffered greatly through this flu season. And um, we do expect it um, or anticipate that, that it could be a bad season for a couple of different reasons. Um, one, because it has been, you know, really hasn't been circulating as much for the past two years, but um also, um, because um, we're now kind of, we have a number of respiratory diseases that are kind of competing with each other. So they all have to be stronger to make themselves survive. Um, so um, so there are various reasons why um, this, this season may be worse. But if, if you know, if I were going to, like I said, pick a, pick a year to really prioritize flu vaccine, I would certainly pick this year. So if one wanted to come to the Fisher's Health Department and get a COVID and a flu shot, you can get both at the same time? You can absolutely get both at the same time. Um, we do have separate registration processes right now. So it's, uh, it's um, a little bit confusing because we are still using that state system for the COVID vaccines. Um, eventually we'll transition into, into one system. So if you're wanting to do that, I do recommend calling for an appointment. Um, just to make sure that you're registered for both. Um, but we'll also be hosting some community flu, flu clinics um, uh, 
on a walk-in basis or walk-up basis. We're going to be at the farmer's market twice um, in the month of September with a partnership from IU Health. And then we'll be doing some pop-ups around in the community too that will be specifically focused on these COVID boosters and flu. I've been to a few farmer's markets. The crowds have been big. Of course, the the weather's normally been good. There have been a few flukes, but uh, that helps. And I know that there have been huge crowds, so it's a good place to, to find people would be a, at the farmer's market. Uh, now, you mentioned registration. How does one register to get a flu and or COVID vaccine from your department? Sure. We have links on our website um, that you can register through. If you're just looking for COVID, you can go through our website. It just links to that state sign up. So you can go straight there, too. It's the same exact um, system that we've been using since the COVID vaccines were rolled out. So it's not a different system. Um, if you're wanting the flu vaccine, that link is directly on our website. Um, and uh, um, so you can do that online or you can call us for an appointment. And what's the phone number? Um, it's uh, 317-595-3211. You know, I, I've almost yeah. forgotten it too because that was, uh, I think the mayor, that's funny because the mayor put that up very early uh-huh. uh, in the pandemic. And I asked him what the number was, and he had to pull his phone out because it it's, was new at the time. And now you probably it's a, haven't had it's to refer a hot, to it. Yeah, it's, it's the same hotline number that we've had since the beginning. We still have a few people manning that to answer questions. And then when we have um, high demand times um, for getting scheduled, um, they assist us with that, too. Um, you know, a lot of the city numbers have different first three numbers. So it's, yes. that's that's where I usually get tripped up on the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, remembering any number trips me up. But that's probably my age has something to do with that. Uh, I want to ask about uh, about the, about COVID a little bit, because one thing I did check uh, before I came over here is that you still have a COVID community level listed on your mm-hmm. website. By the way, finding your website's very easy. Uh, actually, you can just search under Fisher's Health Department. It comes right up with you, Google, yes. or use some other uh, search engine. But uh, as we record this, your department has listed COVID community level as low, which of course is very good news. What I'd like you to talk about for a moment is just explain what that means and what measures your department utilizes to reach that conclusion? Sure. Um, so that system is the CDC's um, rating system. So we switched over to that some uh, many months ago um, to be consistent with um, what the CDC is putting out there. I believe the State Department of Health is also using that system at this point. Um, we use their same measures, but we where we can um, hone up in on that with Fisher-specific data, that's what we do. So we update that every two weeks um, based on our vaccination rates, based on the hospitalization data. And on the hospitalization data, we usually use um, the District 5 numbers um, because our community would be hospitalized in somewhere in District 5, most likely, which um, covers Marion County and all the surrounding counties. Um, so, um, so we're using those data for that. And then the COVID, um, the COVID rates, which are still reportable. Of course, the home tests aren't reportable. Um, but we take it all of that into consideration given our very high vaccination rates, um, here in Fishers, we have the highest really in the state, um, uh, we, you know, that gives us a little bit less concern as far as, um, what, uh, what the serious consequences would be. So we have a little more leeway than we had earlier in the pandemic when we didn't have everyone covered for vaccines um, as far as tolerating higher levels of COVID spread um, before we move that needle up to a, a, like a medium or high. Um, so we did see a bump like um, the rest of, of the areas, but it's definitely gone back down um, 
Um, and we're seeing that reflected in our wastewater samples as well. So I don't know if you know this, but we do also monitor our wastewater samples. We're participating in the CDC's program for that. Um, and we do see a correlation between those um, sample data and our 14-day average of COVID rates. Um, and those have dipped precipitously over the last um, probably two weeks. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember reading about that wastewater treatment uh, measurement and it started early on in the pandemic, and uh, it amazed me that it's been a very accurate predictor of where you're going to go because you can detect how, obviously not who, may, mm-hmm. individual people, but in general, how the community might be in terms of a general uh, outbreak or a lower uh, amount of, of outbreak. And, and I find that interesting, but if you think about it, it does make a great deal of sense. Yeah, you start shedding the virus before you even start um, exhibiting symptoms um, that you're that you may or may not be having. So, um, so it it can be an interesting predictor, and, and typically it would give a community uh, maybe a one to two week lead time on on what they're going to experience as far as testing, and then um, and then um, symptoms and and people being sick. So it can be an interesting predictor. We've been participating in this program since June of this year. So um, we don't have a lot of data specific to our community on it, but um, but we've been monitoring other communities and how that's been going. And I think uh, being part of this program uh, sets us up really well for other kinds of monitoring. Um, for example, f- this would be really helpful for flu season predictions um, uh, going forward into the future. So I'm excited about this as a as a new surveillance technology. It's not person specific, so um, you know I think people appreciate that. Um, it's it's com- it's community based um, and it's pretty specific to our community because we have our own um, utility. Um, so we we can pretty much monitor very specifically for Fisher's residents and our risk. So, and that's a new thing. Having uh, the, was a separate utility company that uh, served. Parts of Fishers. Well, part was the city, part was not. Now it's the entire city. So you have the data there. And what I found interesting is what you said a moment ago, that this is a predictor that will predict what's likely to happen before people actually even have symptoms. Is that correct? Yeah. So before they have flu or COVID symptoms, you know that you need to push out a a program to let people know that there's a problem. No, we're not monitoring for flu right now. That's not part of the program. I guess I'm hopeful, like, so I'm hopeful that by enrolling in this program, it'll set us up for when those other technologies are rolled in and when they start monitoring for other things. I think New York must have been using this technology to monitor for polio as they had that outbreak. So um, I think it sets us up well for as that new technology gets going and they start right. monitoring for things other than COVID. But um, but at this point, we're not monitoring for so flu. So far, it's just COVID, but it's so far, it's, it's been a good predictor. And uh, flu may come someday is what I'm hearing that's you what, say. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Um, you know, flu is, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize how serious flu is, but it, it is quite a serious disease, especially for our young uh, children and for the elderly. Um, it does cause large numbers of deaths every year. So, um, so it is really important to make sure that you are vaccinated and that you do take it seriously um, because it does cause a lot of um, death and disability and disease. The day before we record this, you were before the City Council Finance Committee. All the department heads were there presenting their budget proposals that the mayor has already uh, given the overview on, and you broke it down into into the various departments. I want to ask you about a couple of things you said there. First of all, you mentioned that the, the health department is not necessarily set up just for people who maybe cannot afford 
the vaccine because they don't have health care insurance or health insurance of some kind. You basically say, okay, if you have health insurance, you'll take it and you'll take that reimbursement. So it's not just for people without insurance. That was a point you made to to the city council. Yeah, talk, and we've we've that. seen that. I mean, we've seen that with COVID. I mean, of course, we served everybody. We've done over 115,000 COVID vaccines um, and over 115,000 COVID tests. So I think everybody knows that we're here to serve everybody in our city um, and even outside of our city. We certainly a lot of those folks that have come to us um, don't even reside in Fishers. Um, and um, in order to make sure that we're available and of benefit to everyone in the city, you know, it's important to us that we be able to um, to serve people and meet, meet you. Where, wherever you are. And if that's uh, a person without insurance, that's great. Um, we have uh, buckets of uh, funding um, through the state vaccine program and through other programs that can support um, making sure that that you get your um, vaccines and um, some of those other critical services um, without it being a cost burden to you. Um, and if you have insurance, that's also great. If it's more convenient for you to come into us, that's fine. Um, we're happy to see you there and we're, we would welcome you in there. And we've seen lots of people take advantage of that service, particularly through the back-to-school vaccine period, um, with a lot of kids being behind on their back-to-school shots through COVID. Um, you know, uh, we had a big push um, over the past month or two to get everyone up to speed on their, on their vaccines for school entry. Um, and most of the people that we saw do have insurance. Um, so it's certainly not, um, not any kind of exclusivity or, um, or or wish to to say that we only serve one group of people and not another. Um, certainly, this is a service for everyone. And when the health department was basically stood up originally, as I said, it goes all the way back to April of 2020, the mayor was very emphatic that he did not want to charge anybody for tests and mm-hmm. that everyone would have access to a vaccine. And he drained some cash reserves, but the state and the federal government came back in, gave reimbursements. Almost all that money has been replenished now. So mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting story. Yeah, very um, very interesting and very unique, I think, application and, and way to apply um, some of those uh, federal emergency funds. It's unfortunate that more folks didn't take advantage um, of that of that process. And, you know, as you saw, we didn't have great access to testing initially, and Fishers was unique and a standout in that way. So, And that was because the mayor wanted that to be done for the business community as well as the individuals to be, you know. Absolutely, and he understood how critical it was. I mean, yeah. testing and tracing really, really was the key and is the key to the beginning of any um, communicable disease outbreak. You have to identify who's sick, and you have to um, be able to um, find out who they may have exposed. Um, so that's the key of any infectious disease investigation, and we do lots of those as a health department. Um, and he understood that um, from the from the very beginning, the criticality of, of getting that set up, especially in a setting, if you all remember how hard it was to get COVID tests in the beginning. It was a very, um, very difficult process. You know, I remember early on, one of the biggest outbreaks that got a lot of publicity early on was at an NBA basketball game. And what I remember most of the big public debate, I think it was in Oklahoma City, it was where the game was being played. If I remember right, correct, you know, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm the point I'm trying to make is when that game happened, all of a sudden that state health department started testing all the players. Mm-hmm. And the media was saying, how did the players get such quick access to these tests? Right. Because it wasn't available to right. most people at that time. Right. So uh, I think the mayor's idea is let's make that available to as many people as we can. And, and that yeah. was always his, his, his focus. And I want to talk more about vaccines because at that same meeting yesterday that I just referred to, um, 
someone mentioned something you already referred to the polio outbreak in New York, which has yeah. been tragic. Yeah. And uh, someone mentioned the fact that there seems to be, and this obviously must be happening in New York and other places, this vaccine hesitancy mm-hmm. where people have this idea that, you know, vaccines. Uh, they were developed too quickly. They're not safe. They cause autism in some cases. Uh, the mayor first said, don't get her started. And so I'm going to give you a chance to get started here because you have some very specific uh, ideas about vaccines. I'd like to hear it. Yeah. So um, so in regards to the autism comment, um, that was very unfortunate, um, disproven study that made it somehow into the Lancet Medical Journal um, and has been since retracted because it was based on falsified data. So there is zero link to vaccines and autism, um, but that narrative has somehow persisted for a very long time um, and has caused more damage than I can even imagine on a vaccine hesitancy front. I think, um, you know, I think in, in this country, we're very privileged and very fortunate to have had vaccines and availability of vaccines for a very long time to such a long time that most of us have never seen anyone who has suffered from polio or who has suffered from tetanus or who has suffered from measles encephalitis or who has suffered from many of the very serious and preventable consequences um, of some of these infections. Um, And so we forget that the reason we don't see those things anymore is because we have vaccines and because we have vaccine policies and because um, the vast majority of our population has been vaccinated. But in order to maintain that, um, I will say, blissful um, <laughs> blissful lack of awareness of these severe consequences, we have to stay vaccinated. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I think we're seeing that push and pull right now is that people are saying, well, you know, they're not that serious. You know, what do you even need these vaccines for? Um, well, you haven't seen somebody suffering from polio. There are still people alive today who are living in an iron lung, and that's hard to imagine, you know. And um, so so I, I would hesitate, you know, to, to underestimate the power of those vaccines and protecting the health and, and wellness of, of all of our residents. You know, we do see a lot of folks coming from other countries where they don't have as easy access to vaccines and they're clamoring for them and they're ecstatic to get them and they're happy to have them, you know, in a way that, that our residents aren't always because they've seen those effects of some of those diseases and they know how serious they can be. Um, so it's just a kind of an interesting thing. And I think it's, it's probably a natural progression that people go through of saying, well, I haven't seen this and I heard this thing. And so I have questions, you know, so if you have questions about this and, you know, what the research is and how effective these are and how important they are, you know, we're happy to talk to anyone about those or talk to your healthcare provider about those um, questions or concerns. And we're happy to walk through um, those things with you. Um, But, um, but like I said, it's, you know, if you've never seen, uh, if you've never seen somebody with polio or tetanus or um, even with cervical cancer, you know, um, th- cervical cancer is something that's preventable by our vaccine for HPV. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are hesitant to get to get that vaccine. It's, it not only prevents cervical cancer, but multiple oral and throat cancers. Um, and uh, I just I just think, you know, it's. It, it's easy. To, it's easy to discount their importance when you haven't seen what they can do to someone. When those disease, we haven't seen what those diseases can do. I'm old enough to remember, in the night, growing up in the 1950s, that there was still talk about polio and the the vaccine was coming out at that time. And and the fear that came with polio is just hard for people to imagine 
most people to imagine today. The fact that there are still people with you know, living in iron lungs, I mean, that, most people don't even know what we're talking about. They're huge machines yeah. you literally have to live in to survive. Yeah. So um, if you don't know what it is, Google it. You'll see a picture of what we're talking about. And it's it's it's, uh, it's, 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 it's bad memory. And, it, and you, as you made the comment at that meeting and you just made it today, these vaccines eradicated some of these awful diseases, polio being mm-hmm. one, to see it come back. In a major city in America is dis- disheartening. Yeah, and it's you know it's critical for these vaccines to work um, that that we really have the vast majority of the population um, vaccinated um, because there are people who can't take specific vaccines, and those are usually the people who are most at risk for suffering those severe consequences. Um, and you know the the communities in New York City um, and surrounding New York City that um, that are experiencing this. Um, they have, I think, 35 to 40 percent vaccination rates for polio. Um, so that is not enough to protect the community by any stretch um, of the imagination. You know, most um, most most diseases require 75 to 80 85 percent vaccination rates in order to develop that herd immunity, which is that community protection surrounding the vulnerable that can't be vaccinated. Um, Many examples of the vulnerable who can't be vaccinated would be um, not specifically for polio, but there are many vaccines that we don't start giving until after you're six months old. Right. So the first six months of life is a vulnerable period um, of time. So anybody with young children really should be concerned about about this and making sure that their community around them and surrounding them uh, remains vaccinated to some of these things. And I know my my twin daughters are 28 now. We've been through the whole process years ago, but uh, remember many conversations with our pediatrician about that that very issue. I'm going to move on to something else. You recently appeared before the Fisher City Council, and, and you presented plans for a restaurant rating system. So explain to us uh, what that's all about. So probably if you've traveled any uh, to any major city, you may have seen this in other places. Um, so basically, it's a grading scale that you put on the front of a restaurant. Um, so as a result of the inspection process um, and the, you know, the different items that are found on that inspection, um, a restaurant or a food operator of any kind that would include food trucks, it would include, you know, anything that we inspect as a health department um, they would be assigned a grade, an A, a B, or a C. Um, and um, that grade would be posted for everyone to see. Now, everyone can still um, go in and sign up for an account in our system and review um, restaurant inspections now. Those are um, those are public records. Um, but, um, but I think for increased transparency and for increased um, kind of uh, motivation to maintain those standards to protect our residents from foodborne illness, um, this is this is a way to incentivize businesses that are that are performing best practices and that are um, doing um, things that will protect our residents um, from foodborne diseases um, to make sure that they maintain those high standards of uh, cleanliness that we all expect um, and deserve. Um, so, you know, so this is one way to say, okay, we have, you know, inspected you and you have, you have met this, this high standard. And so, you know, you have an A on the door and, and, um, so we are looking to develop that policy and to, you know, hopefully implement that soon. It's not gone before city council yet. 
Um, but we have begun those discussions with our restaurant operators um, and, um, you know, put forth some draft policies that are available on our website. You can review them. The operators can review them. We're not inspecting anything differently than we have before. It's the same inspection. Um, this is all based on a code um, under the Indiana Administrative Code that, frankly, hasn't been updated since 2004. Um, but we are putting an emphasis on um, items of critical importance uh, to uh, food safety, which is really the point of us being involved in these inspections in the first place is really protecting residents from foodborne illness. Um, and so the different items are weighted based on how critical the violations are. Everything's assigned a point. The restaurant operators, again, it's not a different inspection, but they can certainly go through and look at those points and, and do mock inspections for themselves and see where they stand before this all goes into effect. And that's what we've all communicated to the operators. And so far, we've had a good reception. Well, that was my next question, how the restaurant managers and uh, owners reacted to this. Mm-hmm. You say it's been a good reaction. Yeah. So far, um, our dis- we have another discussion coming up next week um, with um, with operators. But the, the one we had um, last week or the week before, um, I think we had maybe 60 or so operators on the line. And, you know, most of the questions were logistic in nature. Um, they were just, you know, how will this work? How will that work? Where will I post it? How will I know? You know, so they were just little detail-based things. But again, the inspection isn't a different inspection. It's just that instead of a pass-fail, it'll be assigned a grade, and that grade will be posted on the window. Assuming it gets passed by council, this uh, this all has to go through council. Well, just to make sure, and I think you've I think been pretty clear about this, the only change in this policy would be this would be a requirement to post on the door what the grade is. Mm-hmm. It's available now if you want to sign up for it, correct? The grade isn't available okay. because we, we are not using a grade-based system right now. It's a pass-fail system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, But you can certainly you know request a record of your favorite establishment if you want to see all the, you know, the different points that were inspected and what, you know, went, how do you, what how maybe do you, could be improved you, upon. Do you have to sign up for that? Did I hear that correctly? Or is that something you can just access on your own? Um, it's a sign-up process through our viewpoint okay. um, cloud, which is what the city uses for all of the inspection-based records for various different departments. So, so. with a pass-fail, without naming any names... Uh, What's the percentage of failures? You, you well, if there's a failure, then the restaurant would be closed, mm, right? Okay. So um, so not to say that we don't have some temporary closures. We have occasionally, um, and usually those are, are different um, event event-related items that, um, you know, let's say there was a grease trap issue or a sewer backup or something, you know, those are things that you can't stay open. Um, And most of the time, um, the restaurants or the facilities recognize that that that's a need. And so they will temporarily close in order to get that that in order. Um, And usually that's voluntary. One other thing you mentioned before the uh, finance committee is that, uh, and you mentioned this earlier, you're you're really wanting to focus in on other parts of being a health department. Uh, COVID was the focus for a long time. It's still there, but it's it doesn't require the massive attention it did before. You talked about o- outreach programs. So what what do you have planned in that area? Um, well, I have a lot of dreams. I, I can't tell you <laughs> tell you for sure which ones are going to take flight. Um, but certainly, um, outreach is I think important to any any kind of public service, but especially one that um, you know that. Um, 
you know, we're trying to empower people to achieve their best health and wellness, you know, so however that looks to you and whatever, whatever that is, we try to prioritize our activities based on what we see in the community and what the needs of the community are. So, we know, um, for a long time, the mayor has been focused on mental health. Um, and we see that, um, in our data currently that, um, that we need to remain focused, particularly for our teenagers and particularly for our teenage girls, um, who are, um, suffering at very high, high rates of anxiety and depression, higher than, um, than any other component of our population, unfortunately. Um, we know that our um, that our ambulance um, runs are um, very heavily um, weighted to our older folks, um, which you would probably expect, you know, as you develop, um, you know, more health conditions um, with age. But a large number of those are due to falls, and a lot of falls are preventable. So, um, so we're looking at some fall prevention programming in partnership with EMS and um, trying to see if we can engage other um, entities who may be interested in um, doing a little more. Um, work on fall prevention and, and what we can do there. I don't know what that's going to look like yet. We're just in the infancy of that planning process. But those are examples of the kinds of things that, you know, we want to pull community partners together to really you know, move the needle on different um, health outcomes for our community. We may be, you know, living in one of the healthiest uh, counties in um, in the state, the healthiest county in the state, and it was certainly one of the healthiest cities in the, in the state, but that doesn't make us... Um, uh, not uh, able to improve on on some of those different measures. The mayor made a comment about mental health at that same meeting we I referred to yesterday, where uh, before the the day before we record this, and you know he he started a mental health program or had it formulated really when he was mayor elect before he even took office. Because I remember talking to him about it, and he's had it uh, that that program ever since. And institutionalizing it will help once he's no longer mayor, so it will still be there. Mm-hmm. And so you you feel that you've got a good start on the mental health part of of, of your plate. Um, yeah, we're we're getting there. We're putting the pieces in place, and um, you know he did uh, really the city did amazing work on on that front and did a, a lot of great things. Um, we're kind of trying to shift the focus a little bit into a more of a prevention focus, which is what public health does, right? So how can we? How can we um, prevent people um, from developing some of these conditions? What are the things that that we can do to put in place the pieces? Um, And a lot of that's um, community building, right? So basically, um, we need everybody's help, you know, and there's a lot of ways to build that community. I know churches are focused on this, and and our religious institutions are focused on this, and our, you know, a lot of fitness centers are focused on this. The schools are certainly focused on this. So we've got a lot of of partners and and people, I think, in our community that are focused on this, but, um, but you can't really underestimate the power of those community connections in um, in in um, keeping that sense of, of well-being for people. Not to say that there's not also mental illness out there. There certainly is. Um, and, the, and, and not all of that is preventable, right? Um, but the vast majority of what we're seeing here in Fishers is um, seems to, and across the country, really, it, there, there seems to be some cultural component to it. So where can we kind of um, build in a culture that doesn't promote those types of, of conditions? You know, how do, how do we help our young people be and stay healthy emotionally and physically? Those are my so. questions. Uh, anything you would like to add before we wrap this up? 
Um, no, just that we're still doing those vaccines. We've got all of the full array birth to death uh, vaccines, I would say. Um, so any kind of vaccine you need in your lifespan, um, we we have those available to you. You can sign up on our website. Um, as far as the COVID vaccines go, we have the new boosters, um, Pfizer and Moderna. At this point, call for an appointment. Um, next week, you should be able to make your own appointment online. Um, the state system hasn't quite opened that up yet. Um, and, you know, once the this Im- initial demand has um, has gone, we'll, um, we'll take walk-ins again. Um, we also have the Novavax vaccine, so that didn't get a lot of news, but, um, but that did come out, and we ha- do have that available for anybody that's waiting for that. And get your flu shot. Very good. Uh, Monica Health. Monica Health, the health, public health. I want to use the word health yeah. in your name there. It's not that far away. Uh, Monica Health is the public health director for the city of Fisher. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Mm